0: Welcome to The Bridge Online. No matter where you're worshiping from, we are so glad to have you with us. This week, Pastor Doug has another message for us. So grab your Bibles and let's dive in. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Psalm 119. And today, I think, will be the last in our series entitled Practical Christian Living. Um, Today, we're going to talk about God's Word. Psalm 119. And let's start reading at the 97th verse. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The entire 119th Psalm, which is the longest Psalm longest chapter, if you will, in all of the Bible, the longest psalm, um, is entirely dedicated to um, the reflection of the Word of God. And there are many ways that God's Word is described, not just in the 119th Psalm, but throughout the Scripture. The law of God, the law of the Lord, His precepts, His judgments, His commands, His statutes. But maybe none of them are better than what He says in the 105th Psalm. And you've probably heard it before. Maybe you've quoted it. The psalmist says, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, I was reading that this week, and I thought, as dark of a season and as a dark of a society as we live in, thanks be to God that we have a light and that we have a lamp and that we have a guide. And it is the word of God. God's word provides light. Now, folks, it's not just for a collective group of people a collective society but for you as an individual you will go through dark seasons there's no question and in whatever season it is it doesn't matter how dark it may be god's word will provide a lamp and a light and he will guide you through whatever it is that you're going through you will find comfort and peace you will find wisdom and strength in the words of god the psalmist understood this he says god Your, your word illuminates when, when, when I, when I can't seem to put my head around it, when I can't seem to figure it out and folks that happens to us often, doesn't it? When I just, I don't, when I don't have a word, you have a word. When, when I don't have a way and I don't know which direction you, you will begin to reveal it. And, and when you begin to put all of this together, all of these thoughts that are, that are revealed in the word of God about the word, we come to this realization And you have to settle this in your heart. God has spoke. God has spoke. He has revealed his heart. You can know the heart of God. You can know the will of God. You can know the plan of God. God has spoke and he has made promises. God has spoke and he has given warnings. God has spoke and he has given insights into the future. God has spoke and he has given revelation on spiritual matters that you and I could otherwise not know. And all of that is found in the word of God. And yet, tragically, in our day, multitudes are turning away from God's word. It's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's mind-boggling really when you consider it. If all of the things that we just said are true and yet in the midst of it there's a wholesale turning away from God and there seems to be now a turning to other sources for direction. Looking, looking for other avenues of, of light and direction and guidance. Today, especially in Western Christianity, so-called Christians who who no longer feel like this book is important. They, they feel like it's just... it's it's kind of antiquated you know it doesn't really it's not relevant to our time and if they read it at all it's simply to get a positive quote to hang on their refrigerator but but because they've turned folks and we can see this you can see it with your own eyes this isn't spiritual rhetoric this is reality because there has been a turning away from the lamp and the light of God God's Word which is meant to guide them many are wandering in darkness many today Many in the house of God are wandering in darkness. And that's why in America today, as according to Barna Research, there are people that sit in the house of God who say that there are more than one, there is more than one way to heaven. There are multiple ways to heaven. There are people today that believe that simply by living as a good person, as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad. When you, get to he- when you stand before God, you're going to get to heaven because after all, he's a good and a loving God. And that's all they know. They don't know anything else. They don't know of the justice of God. They don't know of the judgment of God. They don't know of the righteous standard and the righteous indignation of God. They know nothing of it because they've never read the Bible. They've cast the word of God to the side and they've created an image of God that is based on their own feelings and their own intellects. Today, in the church, people who attend church believe that as long as you're happy, God's happy. That's the reality. They embrace ideas about salvation, the gospel, sin, forgiveness, eternity, faith that that are not in Holy Scripture. Now, folks, that that is a frightening and dangerous deception. You have to know that this morning. If, if your ideas on salvation and the gospel and forgiveness and eternity and faith are not rooted and grounded in the word of God, you are on the road to deception. Your, my thoughts and my ideas about those topics are meaningless. They are absolutely and utterly meaningless. Therefore, your ideas on those topics are utterly meaningless they mean nothing. It does, they they help no one. Your ideas, your thoughts about what God might do, that it, it means nothing. My thoughts on that, that were like what what I think God is like, it doesn't matter. All of that is found in the Word of God. It has been revealed to us. God has spoken and has revealed who he is and what he expects and what he desires and what he will do. And yet today we're watching this deception take place on a level that maybe I've never seen as long as I've been alive. You see, it's a deadly mistake to think that you and I can somehow know the mind of God apart from his word. I want to say that again, you cannot know the mind of God apart from His word. You, you, you cannot believe this morning that the Bible is just simply suggested reading. Like like it's a book club, you know like I've heard all of my life certain people, and I don't mean to offend anyone in this room, but I've just got to be real with you, who say, well, I'm not much of a reader. Well, if you're a Christian, you better learn to be a reader. You better figure out how to read. You better get an audio book. You better get someone to help you. You better go to class to learn how to read. You better figure out how to read. Because within the pages of this book is God. God's heart. God's mind. Who God is. The direction for life. The direction for spirituality. It is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light to your path. You better figure out how to read. And if we need to start creating classes at church here to teach you to read, we'll do it. And I'm not being facetious. I'm being dead serious. It can't be an excuse anymore. You don't like to read. That's fine. Don't read anything else. Read the Bible. Read the Bible because it reveals to you who God is and what God desires for your life. You can't rely just on preachers to preach the Bible to you. You can't rely on teachers or podcasts to just talk about the Bible, right? Those things are fine, and they're wonderful tools, but at the end of the day, you and I have to read the Word of God, and when we do, we're reading the heart of God. We're we're reading the mind of God. No, the the Bible is not just a book of stories about God with with these nice suggestions of of how to live a better life. The, The Bible is the breath of God that gives life. Do you understand that? It's, it's manna from heaven that you need. It's, it's, when you and I as professing Christians are not reading the Bible, it's like saying we don't need natural food. You know how foolish that is. We know that we need nourishment for our natural body. And God's word is that nourishment for our spiritual man. Do you understand? And so the word of God is manna from heaven. It's the the psalmist understands. He says, "Your word is sweeter, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It's 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 better than the natural sustenance that I so need and that is so necessary for my existence." I want you to turn to Second Timothy. We're going to go to quite a few verses of Scripture. So if you can stay with us, that'd be great. But if not, we're just going to move forward. Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Paul tells Timothy very clearly, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, that's what we have. That's the Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, all of the Word of God, all of the Bible has been given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. In other words, doctrine is what you believe. So my point at the beginning, why am I getting so... Why is he getting so snazzy about it? Why is he being so upset? Because how on earth do you know what you believe if you don't read the Bible? You just listen to preachers and you're just a sheep? You just follow like a lost sheep to whoever's preaching, whatever. God help you in today's generation if that's what you're doing. How do you know what you believe? He says it's profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is your belief system. It's profitable for correction. I don't know about you, but I mess up. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect, nor are you, right? And so I veer off path. I, 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 I'm just like everyone else. I have my own tendencies, my own thoughts. The people that are deceived, listen, there's no difference between them and me other than I just choose to surrender and yield and acknowledge the fact that I need the Holy Spirit and I need the Word of God, and I'm willing to surrender that. They simply don't. But, but God's word provides correction for me. I've, I'm corrected by God's word often. I'm gonna tell you this the more you read the Bible, the more you're gonna be corrected by the Bible. It says, for instruction in righteousness. I, how, I can't define what pleases God. I've never met Him personally, I've never stood in heaven face to face and had a conversation with God. And you haven't either. And so how am I supposed to know what it is that 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 he's honored by? How am I supposed to know what, what he considers righteous? Because at the end of the day, what does it matter? What anyone else calls righteous and unrighteous, but God himself. And so how can I know what is righteous, what is good, unless God's word reveals it to me? Unless I open the word of God and I begin to see it. He says that... That the man of God, in other words, the person who yields and surrenders to the word of God can become complete. That means mature through and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Think of this as profound. First of all, what he says, the word, the phrase given by inspiration literally translates Paul's telling Timothy that God's word is literally God breathed. That's what it translates in the Greek when it says all scripture is in is. By inspiration, he's saying in the Greek, all scripture is God breathed. It's from the breath of God, it's from the mouth of God. The, the scripture is not a man's utterance, it's God's utterance. Do you understand that? It, it it means that the very Bible that you hold in your hand is a product of the creative breath of God. When you begin to think about the breath of God, you know, typically you would go back to the book of Genesis. At the beginning of creation and God himself spoke into existence, right? And he spoke and it was, it was his breath. And then of course we have this kind of the finality of creation, the the climax of it all when God takes dust and breathes into dust and forms us, right? And then you follow that forward to, to today when Christ came and shed his blood and Christ breathes on you and you are born again, Right? It's the breath of God. And that very same breath of God has has put these words in page form in your Bible. Amen. Do you understand that? And so all of a sudden it's not just a you know, it's not for entertainment purposes, if, although if you really start to read the Bible, you're gonna find it's the most entertaining book you'll ever read. I've I've got hundreds and hundreds of books. I actually I enjoy reading, but the reality is nothing's more interesting than the Word of God. I've never read anything that's more interesting than God's word. And, and, but it's not just that. It's the breath of God. God, God has created this book. That's why, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying the, the scriptures were, were breathed. were it's the breath of God. Go to 2nd Peter chapter one. 2nd Peter chapter one, verse 16. He says, we, this is, this is Peter. He's. He's being very candid and very real. He says, we didn't follow some cunningly devised fables. I love this. Peter was there. He saw the breath. He heard the breath of God. Like I don't know if he I don't know if he was one of those space invader types people, but I say maybe Peter was. You know space invaders are right. They get right up in your space, and when they talk, you can feel their breath. We need a whole sermon series on how how to not be that person. But Peter at least had that opportunity. Could you imagine? Like there's only one person that I would be a space invader to. That's Jesus. Could you imagine being so close to Jesus that you could feel his breath? It's the same breath that created the world in which we exist. Do you understand this? Like I am totally against space invaders except unless it's jesus then i'm i want to do what john did i want to hear the heartbeat and i want to feel the breath of jesus over my life right and peter's like look i've i've been i've i've experienced this breath we're not telling you some cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our lord jesus christ we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from god the father honoring glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, "This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased." Remember, Peter was there; he heard the words of God, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And now, listen. And so, we have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, he's saying all of the things. Now, this is at this this for us is two thousand years ago, but for Peter's day, there were thousands of years of scripture that had already been written and already been breathed by God, right? Through the prophets, um, through the psalmist, right? Through Moses. And, and he's saying, what he's saying is Jesus was in, in the pages of all of those scriptures. We didn't know it then, we didn't realize it. We didn't, we didn't recognize and realize that, that, that Moses was referring to Jesus, that Joshua had an encounter with Jesus. We didn't realize it then, but now we recognize that everything that was spoken before he came was speaking about him. And now we've experienced and everything we write is about him as well. Because all things were created by him and for him and all things continue because of him. And, and he says, and he says, "So now we have this prophetic word, and it's confirmed, we've, we've, we've seen it with our own eyes, which you do well to heed to as light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came by the will of man, but holy men. But for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He's giving us insight into how the scriptures have come to pass, or come to be. None of what you read in your Bible is simply a private opinion. And, and I know because of, just because of, for, 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 for ease sake, I suppose, I'll say things, and you'll say things like, well, this is what Peter said, and this is what... Paul is saying to the church, and this is what James is speaking, and we understand, right, what what we're saying. But the reality is, based on what this is saying, is those men were only saying what the Holy Spirit put in their hearts to say. Do you understand that? It was so. So I, there, I, I remember the first time I, I I was working somewhere years years ago, many many before I was ever just right out of school and. And there was this guy there, and he was a college student and got out of college, very intelligent. And he comes to me, and he says, hey, I'd like to talk to you at lunch. He's like, I'd like to talk about uh, Pauline theology. And I'm, I'm like, what do you talk, what is that? Like, I didn't even know. Like, he knew I was a youth pastor. And and I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, Paul, I want to talk about Paul's theology and his, his theology with women and rah, 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 all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't. Like, who cares? I don't even know. What... And so he's like, I just think Paul was off of some of these areas. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't, I don't believe, I don't agree. I like, it wasn't Paul speaking. It was the Holy Spirit speaking. So I don't care what you're, I mean, I don't have an opinion. Do you like Paul's writings better? Or do you like Luke's writings better? You know, do you like James better or is Peter, you know, and we do that and there's studies on that and I understand it and it's fine in and of itself. But don't forget that the word of God was breathed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he used men, but it was breathed by the Holy Spirit. And yes, there's different, you know, thanks be to God that God uses different personalities. And I understand all of that. And there's different literary styles and all of that because God allows the personality to still come out in the writing. I acknowledge all of that. But at the end of the day, they were all inspired and moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Right? So it's God breathed. It's, it's the word of God. It's not man's opinion. And I love what Peter said. He says this, there's a warning here. I hope you see it, and I want you to focus on it this morning. He says, you would do well to listen to this. And so this morning, that's the sermon. You would do well to open your Bible and read it and heed to what it says. If you want to live above the present society and the darkness that is within it, if you want to overcome the temptations that rage against you and the fiery trials that you will inevitably encounter, open the Bible, read it, and obey it. There's nothing else. That should be. You should get a cop there. That's important. That's it. I know you're waiting for some kind of slick presentation of that. That's the presentation. If you want to be an overcomer and you want to be mature in Christ and you want your life to bear fruit and you want to have the ability within to overcome and if you want to have wisdom and you want to live above the powers of the enemy, open your Bible, read it, and obey what it says and you will walk in the victory that Christ has provided. That's the reality. And so so none of what you read in this Bible is merely a private opinion, right? And so, but we have to do what Peter says. We have to We have to heed to it. We have to actually put forth effort and follow what it says. Now, Jesus made this very clear in Matthew chapter 7. And you're going to think it's out of context, but I'm going to show you it's not. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. It's very familiar. You know what it is. It's his words. They'll put it on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it and so jesus says it very plainly and and folks you and i are watching this play out right before our eyes i get it i understand it the I, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant about the Bible. It is difficult to read this book for, for a number of reasons. One it, in some ways it's hard to understand. I get that. I understand. I'm not suggesting that's not. In another way, it's hard, it's hard because like I said, the more you read the Bible, the more you're going to be corrected. So that's hard, right? It, it's, it's hard because there's a distraction and there is a literal force of hell that would try to keep you from reading the Bible. I never get more tired. I have less energy when I read the Bible than any other book I've ever picked up. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I'll I'll, I'll be a ball of fire ready to go and I'll sit down during my time of reading just for myself. And before long, I'm, I'm 15 minutes in and I'm almost asleep. Why am I so tired? You know, what's going on? You know, I can pick, pick up other books and read for an hour and just be engaged, and this is wonderful, and this is great. Why? There's a spiritual attack, folks. The enemy knows that if you're, if you're not equipped with the Word of God, you are an ill-equipped warrior. You're, you're of no real match for him. You have nothing to defend yourself against him with. You, you can quote mantras and shout slogans in the church all day long. But at the end of the day, Jesus gives us this pattern as he's tempted in the wilderness, right? And, and the enemy comes to him, and Jesus could just say, shoo away from me, you fly. Like, Jesus, that's what he could have said. Like, get away from me. I'm hungry. Leave me alone. But he doesn't. Why? Because he's giving you the pattern of how to defeat the enemy. And every temptation that Satan comes to Jesus with, He's teaching you two thousand years later in Bridge of Hope Worship Center how you can deal with the devil. And every time Satan comes, Jesus comes back with the Word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. And finally, the devil's like, "This ain't gonna work," and he leaves. And so that same pattern will happen for you as well. But it's not. It's not just just cute slogans. It's not like, oh, I got angry at the devil and I really shoot him away. You can't shoot him away except with the word of God. That's why why it's described as a sword of the spirit. It's a tool that the Holy Spirit puts in your hand that empowers you to to, uh, distinguish enemies. Your words mean nothing to the devil. What you're going to do, your commitments... All of that, he's he's not impressed or intimidated by that at all. But when you start standing on the word of God that you have read and that you're choosing to yield to and surrender to, now you have authority over the enemy. You have power to speak. And that's exactly what Jesus does. But here he tells us very clearly that it's a narrow path. I, I want you to get this. In other words, what he's saying is there's going to be so few people that are going to choose To live in the Bible. I want you to get this. There are going to be so few people that are going to choose to live in the Bible. That means means they're reading the Bible four, five, six times a week. They're they're reading the Word. They're studying the Bible. They're, They're diving into it. There's going to be so few people that choose to do that and that ultimately then choose to heed what they read and obey it. And he's saying those people are ultimately going to go in through this broad gate. In other words, they're going to begin to follow the collective thoughts of the day. They're going to to yield to what what is perceived as the collective wisdom of the hour. They're going to go the way of the crowd, folks. Because they don't have any other anchor. They don't have any other system as it is. Doctrine, as Paul referred to it as. That that they're living by. And, And so... Their mantra is, in essence, going to be do what feels right. And that's what we're watching. That's what I mentioned. That's why the surveys are revealing the numbers that they are. Because the, the broad way is, it's the lazy way. It's lazy. It's easy. It's, I just want to go to church to feel good. And as long as I feel good, I'm sure I'm going to heaven. I mean, it's got obvious. And he says, like, it's going to be this very broad path that, that you're going to feel good about. Because it's what most people are doing. It's what most people are talking. I'm telling you. If if there is one area that would clearly define the weakness of the church. There's at least two. But one of them is the lack of biblical literacy in the church of Jesus Christ. The other is the lack of prayer. We touched that last week. But there is such a lack of biblical understanding and literacy among professing Christians. It's, It's... It's frightening, quite frankly, and that's what Jesus said it was going to be like. It's going to be a broad path, and there's going to be many that choose that path. But then He says the way of God through the Bible is narrow, and it's interesting that we always try to fight that, don't we? You know, we and we are we're referred. If you believe the Bible and you read the Bible, you're going to be referred to as narrow, narrow narrow-minded. <laughs> That's fine with me. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the book. I'm reading what Jesus said because it says here that narrow is the gate that leads to life. And so call me narrow if you choose, but according to Christ, the creator of all things, the judge of all the earth, if I follow the narrow path, I'm going to have life and life more abundant. Are you following me? But it's a narrow path, it, it's a narrow gate, it's difficult. Right? There's things you read that you're like, I don't, I don't, you read things about forgiveness, you read things about kindness, you read things about benevolence and giving of yourself. Uh, You read things like washing others' feet and all this stuff. And, and, And not following your own plans for your own life, yielding and surrendering to God, like it's a narrow path. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but I'm telling you that this morning. If you want to follow Christ, it's a narrow path. It's, it's, and it's going to be less and less accepted the darker and darker our society becomes. But notice, the broad path, the broad gate leads to hell. It leads to destruction. The narrow path is difficult, but it leads to life. And so this morning, we cannot be left to our feelings, but we can't be left to personal preferences. Look, the reality is you and I are too inexperienced. We are, we're, we are inexperienced in life. You think about it, and whatever stage you're at right now, you're inexperienced in that area. You know, just think about the stages of life, you know, you're, we, 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 we look at children, and of course, they're inexperienced, they're young, they haven't been through anything. But then, when you become a teenager, you're inexperienced, you've never been a teenager, I am not that's why teenagers, you know, especially those late junior high kids, I mean, they're, what, like aliens, I am. But they're inexperienced. They don't know. I, I, and then, then they get a little older and Alice Cooper, the great theologian, he sung about <laughs> I'm 18. I'm a boy and I'm a man. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. You get to be 17, 18, 19 years. You have no clue. Why? Because you've never been a man. And then you get married. You've never been married. And then you have children. You've never had children. And then you get it, right? And so there's this, we're just too inexperienced. To try to go through life without God's word. We're too weak in the face of temptation to not need a guide. And this morning, God's word is that guide. That's why Jesus said very clearly in this season of temptation that we were just referring to, Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he wasn't just referring to food. He, he was referring to natural sustenance and natural strength, that, everything in the natural. He's saying you can't, those things are important and they're necessary, but, but you can't live on those things alone. You, you have to have an insight, you, ha, you have to have revelation, you have to have understanding that you don't possess in yourself, and so you can't just live in the natural, and you can't just live on the natural. You have to have spiritual, supernatural food so that you can tra- traverse through life successfully. Now, I want to read to you this morning briefly what happens to a person or a society that chooses to drift away from God's word. And I pray that it would serve as a warning to you this morning. If, if you're someone who's not in the word of God, I want you to hear the warnings of scripture. And I pray that you'll hear what God's word is saying and that you'll recognize that you are not above the temptation of what we're about to read. Second Peter chapter 2. Now, it follows along. We read 1 Peter. Peter's like, this is the word of God, man. This is God's heart. It's revealed. It's light in the midst of darkness. Don't, don't, listen, make sure you heed to it. But then he gives us a description of the type of people who choose not to heed to, word, to the words of God. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 1. He says, but, but there are, or there were, false prophets among the people even as there will be false prophets or teachers among you they have to understand that that applies to us to this right now to this very moment there were false teachers and there are false teachers among you and they will secretly bring in destructive heresies even to the point of denying the lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction now understand something Deception, like like deception's like poison. Poison works best when you don't know it's in your drink. Let me say that again. Poison works best when you don't realize it's in your drink. Because if you know it's poison, you probably won't drink it. Okay, so so I think some people are like, oh, I wouldn't follow those things. Well, of course not, if you're able to identify and recognize that it's deception. But the problem is, if you're not in the word of God, you're not going to be able to discern what is deception and what's not. And and so he says, these things are going to come in secretly. When things come in secretly, that means they happen under your nose. They happen without you realizing it. Don't be so arrogant to think. That just because you were raised in church or whatever, or you have a Christian background, or you profess faith in Christ, that you are beyond the ability of being deceived. This church was formed by an apostle, right? The apostle was their teacher. They've got they've got the best teaching that there can be, and he's warning them, "Hey, but don't don't forget, there are." False teachers among us, there is false doctrine, there is false teaching that is out there and and it will come in very secretly and it will bring swift destruction. Verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways. Why? Why, why, how, how, How could that possibly be? And it's because they're not going to be rooted in the word of God because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, God's word will be blasphemed and they won't even know it because they're so ill-equipped with God's word. Listen, by covetousness, they will exploit you. I love this. In other words, they will appeal to what you want in your inner sensibilities. Oh, listen to me. If you think this morning that across this room, there, we don't all have our own preferences, the things that we, uh, that appeal to us, that draw us, and I'm not even talking about sinful things. We all have, like like you just look at the church of Jesus Christ as a church, and I've watched it over the years, and you have churches that focus on the prophetic, you've got churches that focus on preaching, you've got churches that focus on worship, you've got churches that focus on mission. Why? Why? Because, because there's just certain pre- uh, desires, there's certain things that we like more than others. Are you with me? That's just who we are. And Paul says that these false teachings, they will play on that. They will, they will play on that. They, he's talking about the, the desire of the inner heart, and they'll use the desires of the inner heart to exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle. And their destruction does not slumber. Look at verse 12. By the way, just read the whole second chapter this afternoon. We don't have time. Verse, verse this is still, it's all in the same reference. But these, talking about the people who, who give in to their own covetousness, their own desire, the desires of their own heart, and they drift from the word of God, okay? It says they're like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. These are, these are false teachers And those who follow the false teaching, they speak evil of the things that they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. And folks, you see this. You'll you'll see teachers that rise up and they'll say... Well, the church shouldn't be talking about the judgment of God anymore. And, uh, and, and, and the church should be all-inclusive. And, and everyone should be welcome in the house of God. And it, it shouldn't matter you know, what your sexual preference is or what your whatever is. It doesn't matter. Everyone should be welcomed in the house of God. And in some sense, they're right about that. The door is open. but But here's the reality. You're not expected to come in and remain as you've been. You're supposed to come in and yield and subject yourself to the word of God. And let God's word... Build life into you and change you. You're supposed to be born again. And 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 there'll just be this exploitation to just say, and they don't know, they don't understand things like the judgment of God. They don't understand the wrath of God. They they don't understand the judgment of God that's coming. It says, listen, they and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. You see, one of the characteristics of deceptive doctrine and and, and one of the things that they can't avoid is they cannot overcome sin. There's no power within them to overcome sin because the power to overcome sin is found in the Word of God. It's found in the life of God. It's found in the breath of God. You and I naturally cannot overcome sin in our own. And and so they've already denied this. And so one of the characteristics is they'll just be sin in their midst. They'll have no ability to overcome their own productivities, you know, the desires of their heart. Skip with me to verse 17. He says, these are wells without water. They're clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What a descriptive Verse. You know, a well, you know you see a well, and the expectation is that's a well, so there should be water in it. And for those who have veered away and simply just drifted away from the word of God, you don't live in the word of God, you don't read the word of God, you don't appreciate the word of God at all, but you profess to be a Christian, you're professing one thing, but boy, once we get to know you, we realize you're just empty. That's a plague in the church of Jesus Christ right now. You profess Christ, You've learned how to raise your hand you've learned some good phrases you've learned to take on some of the culture of the church but really when we sit down for coffee it becomes very evident you don't know much about the word of god you are like a well with no water inside of it you're full of emotion and and you can emotionally say how much you love jesus and you can emotionally talk about the things of god to some degree on a very surface level but when when the rubber really meets the road Folks, listen, you don't have to be around people too long to realize they don't have no idea about the word of God. They have no concept. I, I was talking to a young guy, and he shouldn't know the word of God, so this isn't a judgment. But it's just funny. This is the extreme level. And this guy says to me, he says, like now, and we're just talking. He says, now, you own the church, right? And I I I I did I, I just laughed. I said, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're the you're the you're the You're the priest. You're the, what are you? You're the pastor. Like, he doesn't know anything. He says, you own the church, right? And I said, no, I don't own the church. He goes, well, you, you, it's all, it's like yours. Like, this guy has this impression that because I'm the pastor of the church, that this is my business. Like, I own the business. He has no concept of God. No concept of the word of God, right? And then, uh, but, but the reason that's funny is because we're talking in that, the initial part of the conversation is he's professing to be a Christian, I'm going, man. You're no more a Christian than, than that wall. Like you have no concept whatsoever of the things of God, and so I just start talking to him about that, and and he's just he's awestruck by the simplicities of the gospel and the simplicities of Scripture, and he's like, well, can I confess? Because he's got kind of a Catholic background. He says, can I confess my sins to you, and I'll I'll be okay. I'm like, good luck. I said, you're getting nowhere. You confess your sins to me. All that is is fodder for me to gossip. I, I can't help you a lick. <laughs> You've got no shot, bud. You tell me your sins, you're still going to hell. And, and there's no knowledge. But, but folks, that's an extreme case. But the sadder part, the much, much sadder part is when you talk to people who sit in the house of God. And they just have no concept of the things of God. They have no, they have no understanding of scripture whatsoever. Verse 18, let's read this quickly and move on. For, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness they allure through the lust of the flesh see it he's saying it again what is it that draws someone away from the word of god it's when they allure to your lust to your to your desires now come on let's make that real talk it's 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 someone that if if you're maybe a political person all of a sudden they hit that political button and they and they started they just start drawing you or maybe maybe you're someone who's angry, or you're just whatever. You can just go through the list and think of whatever it is that's that's going on in your heart. And they identify; it. they're able to recognize it, and they begin to touch some buttons, and and it draws you in because you think the same way, right? That's he says they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. You know, they appeal to your own inner personal desires that are not surrendered to the word of God. Do you understand? And so if you're not in the word of God, you are susceptible to deception, period. That's the reality. You have have no real strength against it. It says while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For for by a, for by whom a person is overcome by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again entangled in them and overcome the latter and are overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now this is this is terrifying doctrine, folks. And I'm not preaching. I don't. You believe? I'm just reading you what what Peter is teaching. And he's suggesting, at least in this, you have to give the understanding, that there is at least this suggestion that these false teachers were at one time followers of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how else you read this portion of Scripture. You can try to explain it away all you want, but if you just read it, it says, for if after after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... But now they are again entangled in them and overcome. He says, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment that delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. What what a... What clear warning that we're given of the dangers of not living in the world. In other words, this morning, folks, all of that is to say this, beware of drifting away from God's word. Beware of mishandling the word of God. What I mean by mishandling is taking it lightly, like it's, it comes and goes and eh, big deal. Some days I'll read it, then I'll go months and months and not. That's a light mishandling of the word of God. Beware you are in danger of being deceived. The, the the kind of image, if you will, that we get of this type of person is they start out taking a casual approach to the scripture. But ultimately, they become dull of hearing. In other words, it doesn't matter. It, they could read something like this and it just doesn't really even move their heart. There's just no conviction. And then ultimately, doubt begins to creep in that Is is this really the authoritative word of God? And, And before they realize that their heart has become hard soil, that Jesus says the word can't penetrate any longer. I'm here to tell you this morning that there is no more frightening state than a person whose heart has become cold and dead to the word of God. There's nothing worse. They can sit in the house of God, they can hear preachers, they can open the Bible, but their heart now is hardened. It's it's just, to them, it's another sermon. They're not moved any longer. There's no capacity to be stirred in their heart. There's no conviction. Listen to me. If you are not convicted and moved by the word of God, you will never go to God. You will never go to God. You will never turn to God. You and I will not turn to God in our own strength. Conviction is your only hope. Conviction is my only hope. Correction is my only hope. It's the only way that I'll even be open. My eyes will be open to turn to God at, at all. And so, so I think what Paul's teaching is: it is, it is a, it is a dreadful thing to sit in the house of God or to sit with the Bible and read it and and just become dull of hearing and and some of you in this room you've you've heard the word of god for for years and years and years and you hear sermons and you hear a sermon and you're like ah oh, that I don't think that's what that verse means and all of a sudden you're you're dissecting it and you're trying to figure out the greek and the hebrew and you're dissecting it all and all you've done is become dull of hearing and before you realize it now, it's just like, oh, I've heard that before. I've heard that. Have you ever tried to talk to someone and give them advice? And everything you say is, I've heard that before. Yeah, that didn't work. That didn't, what do you do? Finally, it's just like, okay, good luck. That happens. That's why I don't counsel nearly as much as I used to. It's really not necessarily by choice. Some of it was choice, but most of it is nobody wants to come and hear it anymore. Because I, I have no patience whatsoever If you come into my office and I tell you that, I've tried that, I tried that, I tried that, well then why are you here? Leave me alone, get out of my office. I have nothing for you, why are you asking me? You've tried it all, you've prayed it all, God spoke it all, get out of my office. Why are you asking me? And so counseling ministry has really gone downhill. (laughs) It's not thriving, I'm just telling you. But it's a, it's a genuine danger, folks. When, when we come to the place and we can't, like a child, open this book and say, Oh, God, that, I'm not following this. My life does not line up with what your heart is revealing through the Scripture. And, and then what it leads to is a closing of the book for a moment and a cry. In your heart to God and say, oh, God, you've got to help me. I I am so far. I don't know if you've ever opened the book and, and read it and thought, I'm so far. I am so far away from who you want me to be. I'm so, I read this book and I feel like you're talking about someone completely foreign. And do I like feeling that way? Well, of course not. But you know what it causes me to do? It causes a softness in my heart. It causes a sensitivity. It causes a a cry. It says, God, you got to help me. You got to help me because I'm not living like you want me to live. And the only way I can is by the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I would never pray that if I'm not seeing it in the Word of God. Do you understand? And Peter's warning be careful how you handle the Word of God. We're going to close, but the reality is this morning, it doesn't matter how much society chooses to change. It doesn't matter what becomes socially acceptable, folks. It doesn't matter even what our own government and our judicial system says is legal. It doesn't matter how far society's rebellion against God goes. You and I must hold tight to the unchanging Word of God as our anchor and guide and lamp and light. So I want to close with this very quickly. In Hebrews, as they come, go ahead and come. Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this For the Word of God is living. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I wanted to read this. I couldn't end without reading this to you because the translation of that verse is, in my opinion, quite profound. Because i want to leave you with something positive. I don't, I don't want to just scare you into reading the Bible. That won't be effective. But I want you to leave this morning with this promise. The, this word powerful in the Greek actually means, it's, it's literally translated energetic. But here's what it means. It means that it's, there's something at work, something active, and something effective. So, so let, me, let me put that in there. The Bible is living and active at work, and effective. Let me say it that way. If you will choose this morning to start opening your Bible and just read through it, I don't care. Like just start reading it first, then you'll grow into study, but start reading it. Start getting it into your spirit. He says, if you'll do this, if you'll, if you'll discipline yourself and you'll open the word of God and you'll meditate on the word of God and you'll read the word of God, he says, here's the promise that has nothing to do with you. If you'll open yourself up to the word of God, here's the promise. This is what happened. happen. The word of God is active. The word of God will go to work on you. The, the word of God will begin to be bring effective fruit out of your life. That's what this verse of scripture means. Think about that. Now, in context, the author is referring to the children of Israel, renouncing the, the promises of God. You can read it. And that re- resulted to them, a whole generation dying in the wilderness, right, and not possessing What God offers. And so the idea of this verse is this. God's word is speaking. Even though it's closed and on your closet and in your closet or in your cabinet or under your car seat, it doesn't matter. It's speaking. God's word is speaking. Just just as God was speaking to the children of Israel. God's word is speaking to you and I today. Until Christ returns, God's word is speaking. And it's calling you into faith. It's calling you into a place where you will respond, where you'll receive what's being said, and you'll respond, and you'll stand firm on the promises of God. And here's the promise, God says, if you do, I will cause my word, and the energy of it, the activity of it, the effectiveness of it will come and begin to build your life, and you will become more and more like Christ. And folks, what an amazing promise that we have this morning. There's no greater reason that I can think of today, if you're a true Christian, of why you should be in the word of God. Come on, let's stand. I want that active, effective, energetic work to be taking place in my life. That's what the verse means. It's it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're going to pray as a congregation. But before we do, we're going to ask if there's anyone in this in this room, anyone in the balcony. If something has happened in this service where you identify, man, it's God's dealing with my heart. It nothing to do with the sermon, man, but but you feel like God's dealing with your heart. And you know today that you're away from God. Only you can decipher that, only you know. If you're away from God today, And there's something in your heart, a desire that you want to come to God. There's only one way to come to God. That's through Jesus Christ. That means, that means you put all of your faith and all of your trust in what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross and shed his blood and paid the penalty for your sin. And so the scripture says, whoever calls upon Jesus and asks Jesus for forgiveness, ask the Father to forgive them. who who repents of their sin. In other words, I'm willing to turn away from the way I've been living and I'm ready to follow him. I'll give my life to him fully. The Bible says that you'll be born again. And so this morning, we're not going any further until we give you an opportunity to do that. So if you're in this room right now and that's you and you say, Pastor, I'm ready. Maybe you've never done it before and you want to do it for the first time or maybe you have, but you're away from God. You've drifted. And you want to get right with God. You want to come back to God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. And I want to pray with you right now, if anywhere, before we go any further. there's anyone in the balcony, anywhere, let me see your hand. Raise it high. I see a hand. I see a hand. Two hands in the balcony. Who else? Give me another hand. Anybody else? Don't leave today. You're, you're here. You're in the presence of God. It was all designed. God set you up. He brought you here because he loves you and he wants you to come to know him he's calling you back home praise God for two hands anyone else let's pray with them here's here's what you do if you raised your hand the Bible makes it clear that if you will admit your need for Jesus you'll confess I'm a sinner I'm lost you admit that And then you believe that the only answer, you believe the Bible, you believe the only answer is Jesus Christ, the shed blood of Jesus, and you believe that with all of your heart, and then you call upon Him and you ask Him to forgive you, and then you confess Him, not just as your Savior, but as your Lord. The Bible says you'll be born again. And so right now, if that's you, I want you to just begin to pray. Everyone else, come on, bow your heads. Let's pray together with them and you got to pray it the way from your own heart but it might be something like this lord i'm a sinner you know that you know my sins you know my f- failure my brokenness i'm lost without you but i'm here today lord i'm here now i know you've drawn me to this place and i ask you to forgive me ask him right now just ask jesus ask the father to begin to forgive you ask jesus to come and take over your life and give you the Holy Spirit. Tell him you're willing, I'll follow you. I'll give you my life. I'll I'll turn away from the sins that I've been living in and I've been committing. And I'll follow you as my master. If you begin to pray that this morning, God will forgive you according to the scripture. For the rest of us, we're going to pray, God put a a hunger in my heart for your word. Come on, step out of your seat. Multitudes should be at the altar. It's just a simple prayer. We need it. I need it. Come on, come on. I need, if you say, I need a hunger to read the word of God again. I need a stir in my spirit. I'm not disciplined enough. I don't have enough discipline. I don't have, I've, I've drifted from your word. Come on, come on. Let's pray as a church like we did last week. Let's pray. God, help me read your word. I see the significance of it. I see how important it is. I honor your word, but you have to help me. Help me this week. Help me starting to this afternoon. Help me tomorrow. Help me, help me this week to just begin to create patterns where I'm in your word and living in your word. Come on, balcony, come to the middle. Everyone, everyone in the church, let's pray that God would just stir our hearts for his word. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you did, make sure you like and share on social media to help spread God's word. If you would like to learn more about the bridge or if you'd like to give, you can go to our website at thebridge129.org. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.